Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Praise God. How many love the Word of God? Well, you know, you dig around, you, you have certain days, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, you figure, well, what can I preach? And so since we're teaching on the subject of faith, I started digging around in the Word of God and praying, seeking the Lord. Oh, let me just say this. You know, we were, we've had some meetings we took here at the first of the year, the first half of the year. And uh, the rest of my meetings, the rest of the year will be where I don't have to miss Sundays. I like being here on Sunday. I think, well, let me just say this. I know I'm the best person to preach here on Sunday morning. You may like Brother Greg, I love Brother Greg, I like Brother Danny, but I tell you, I fit here better than anybody. Amen? Amen. And uh, in, in Ireland, and both last week we're over in Louisiana, uh, I don't know why, I, don't, I guess I'll figure it out later. I don't know why, but uh, uh, God has just turned up the, the anointing or the volume on my teaching ministry. I mean, I'll start taking the Word, and I just, I mean, it'll just, it'll just literally... I mean, there's no, uh, when, when you understand the office of a teacher, and it's taken me years and years and years to understand it. I remember when it happened. I'd been five years preaching, five years in the ministry, and, and, and sitting in, a, in, a, in the living room of Ken and Ann Ashworth, that's who it was, in Athlone, Ireland. The Lord dropped a teaching gift in me and told me this is the fivefold ministry gift of a teacher. You know, there's the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Notice pastor and teacher tied together. So for many years, I just ministered as a teacher till God put me in the pastorate of Island Church. Now, uh, for some reason, this gift has really just went up to another, another level. Uh, I, we preached some things in Ireland. I thought, uh, Brother Roland, Roland was with me. He came to me and said, Pastor, I don't know where all that's coming from, but man, I've never heard stuff like that before. And he doesn't do that to patronize me. We've been friends for so many years, so it doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't need those slaps on the back. But then I've noticed myself, where's this coming from? You know, I'll get up and start teaching things, and you can always tell when that gift kicks in is because it's like you step back, and there's really no conscious thought of you forming words. They're just coming out of your mouth. And so that's not only happened in my teaching, that's also happened in my approach to the Word of God when I go in and read the Word of God and study the Word of God. The same thing's been happening to me. So I'm going to trust you're going to be the beneficiary of that. Amen. That we all will. Amen. Now, in your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And since it's Mother's Day and since we're teaching on faith, we're going to combine the two and teach on love because I believe the closest thing to agape or God's love is the love of a mother. You ever notice that? I heard Brother Hagen tell a testimony years ago of a young man. He was, he was born to a farming family there in the region where he pastored up in, up in north central Texas. He used to call it the Badlands of north central Texas. And he said this young man was, you know, this was pre-World War II and the man went off to, to, to fight in the war. I, I don't know what theater he fought in, but he was a, a soldier in World War II, saw a lot of combat, came home and just couldn't, couldn't get it right, drank and... And, and, and got himself in a lot of trouble, ended up in a, in a fight and committed murder. And, and the parents spent everything they had, mortgaged the farm to try to, to, to you know, defend him in the courts, and they lost everything. And he ended up in jail, ended up in the penitentiary up in Huntsville. At that, that time, Huntsville uh, had most of the penitentiaries of our state were in Huntsville, Texas. Ended up in there. So they went up to visit him. 
And so his dad was the first to talk to him. His dad was bitter. His dad was mad. He said, listen, you're not my son anymore. I'm disowning you. Everything we've worked for is gone. And, you know, he just turned around and walked out uh, just in a, in a rage. But mom went over and put his arms around him and said, you know, I still love you, son. You're still my son. I don't care if you're in prison. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you are. I still love you because you're my son. You know, God is the same way with His children. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, no matter how you've messed up, it does not matter to God. God still loves you. And that's one of the most amazing phenomena of God and in the Gospels is exploring that love because it has no boundaries. There's no boundaries in it. And God takes and places that love in us as believers, as His children, and then He expects us to live and to walk by that love. So if I was going to title this message today, I would title it, Faith to Walk in Love. Because without love, your faith has no fuel, your faith has no foundation. It says in Galatians 6, faith worketh by love, and without love, literally, your faith will not work, will not operate. Listen, when my faith isn't working, when I'm not receiving from God, when I'm not getting the results in prayer that I need, the first place I look is in my love walk. Am I walking in love according to the Word of God? Am I doing what the Word demands or dictates to me? <laughs> we're, in a, we're in a class at, 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 at Lakewood when I was in Bible school. And you've got to understand, I was, look, I was March, April, May, June, July, August, September. I was seven months out of the world. I mean, just living like the devil, you know. And so I, seven months out, I'm sitting in Bible school with all these high-powered Bible school students and high-powered teachers. And it was pretty intimidating to me. And at one particular point, it wasn't Brother Osteen, it was one of the other teachers. He got up and he said, now look, I want everyone to stand up. There were 120 in our class. He said, I want everybody to stand up. We're going to go through the entire uh, 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 class and we're going to ask everybody, what is it of God that you want in your ministry? What, is you, what do you want Him to make you? You know, one guy got up and said, well, I tell you, I want to be used in the gifts of healing. Somebody else says, I, I want to do miracles and signs and wonders. And so they were all saying these things about, you know, the power of God, the anointing. I want to be used to reach the nations. And so it was, you know, they were going down the road, down the road, coming down to me. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? <laughs> I'm just glad I'm not on dope no more, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I mean, it just it kept getting closer to me, and I, every one of them was this, you're going to shake the world. And I'm thinking, what? And so I, they came to me, Rusty, what about you? So I stood up, and I still didn't know what to say. I just kind of like, and I said, well, well, uh, I just want God to just make me a man of love. And sat down. Nobody said ooh or ah or, or, or nothing, you know. I was like, oh, my God. Well, little did I know what that meant. Little did I know what I would go through in order to discover how big God's love is. Amen. Now, let me read this and we'll, and we'll go through this. You're going to like this. I believe God drew every person here today just to hear this message. Uh, we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to read it in the Amplified. Beginning there in verse 4. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy is not boastful of vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily, is not conceited, arrogant, inflated with pride, is not rude or unmannerly, it does not act unbecomingly, love God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own ways, for it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful, it takes no account of the evil done to it. 
It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice in injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevails. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless. Under all circumstances, it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out, or becomes obsolete, or comes to an end. Now you've got to understand, there's a lot of people that think, I tell you, I walk in love. (laughs) But in reality, it ain't love. Because I'm telling you, the greatest effort of your spiritual life it's not going to be to get some miracle that you need. And look, we got, we're miracle people around here. We're believing God for $5 million breakthrough windfall to start that building program. I believe we're so close to it. I, I can see the ink on the check, glory to God. I mean, I'm telling you, we're that close to it right now. I, I mean, we're believing God for, for signs and wonders and miracles, for people to be touched by the power of God. I mean, we've seen some wonderful things here. Even this year, we've seen some wonderful things that have happened and taken place. And I'm telling you, it's an effort uh, to, to build a church. It's an effort uh, to go to the nations of the world. It's, a nation, it's an effort to be involved with, with the flavor of Christianity that we're involved in because the Word of God puts a great demand upon your character. But the number one thing God wants to chisel into your character in life is His love in you, working in you and through you. And we seem to come up, we come up so short many times. But you have to understand, the main effort of your life has to be in walking in love. Now, with that in mind, go to the book of uh, Romans real quick. I've got two other scriptures after this I want to look at. But Romans chapter 5. Now, I never saw this before. I tell you, I, I literally preached Romans chapter 5 out of about five Bibles. You say, what do you mean? If you go look at those Bibles in my library, Romans chapter 5 is is gone. (laughs) The pages tore up. It's got all kinds of stains on it. You say, why? Because I took that Romans chapter 5 and I preached every way you could preach it. Y'all have heard me preach on glory and tribulation? That's Romans chapter 5. Now, but I never saw what I saw just the other day as I was looking at it. Now notice this. I'm just going to read and get to it. It says, therefore, verse 1, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access. Everybody say, access. Let's raise our hands and thank God for the access we have to God. Amen. Thank you, Father, for that access we have to God through Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now notice this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Now has anybody ever had any tribulation? Now, now the Bible says we are instructed by the Word of God to do what? To glory in tribulation. Listen, that, that is one of the lost arts of Christianity is when the doctor says, the banker says, or someone says to you some negative, horrible thing that you just go, glory to God! I wish y'all could have seen the expression of that pastor's face when I told him I was going to buy those chairs. I mean, he was like, glory! Well, that's easy to do when you get a miracle. He wasn't glorying in tribulation. He was glorying in His miracle. Amen. But I'm telling you, God requires of the believer that when trial, tribulation, trouble, or temptation comes into our life, we're supposed to glory in tribulation. Now notice, we glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience is involved. Patience experience. Experience hope. And hope, now notice this, hope maketh not a shame because the love of God 
Now here we go. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now notice, if you go backwards, forward. See, I've always preached this forward to the end instead of backwards, forwards. But if you look at the reality of the scripture there, it says, and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That is literally the foundation for our hope, our patience, and our ability to glory in tribulation. If love is not working in your life, you will never have hope, you will never have patience, and you will never glory in tribulation. But if the love of God is the foundation of your life, because it is the fuel of your faith, you'll always have hope. Come on, church. You'll always have hope. You'll all, listen, you'll always have patience. You'll always gain great experience. And I'm telling you, every trial, every tribulation, every rejection, whatever comes into your life, you're just going to put up your hands and go, Glory to God, because the love of God is in you. Now, that's how we locate it. Where is the love of God? It is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, Nobody looks at this book, not even Leah. You say, well, this is my personal prayer log, so nobody looks at this book. Nobody gets this. I pray over you. Some of your names are in here. I pray over people. So I'm very careful to guard it. But immediately as I begin to study this, the Lord began to speak to me by the Spirit. Faith for your love walk. Everybody say, faith for my love walk. Because I'm telling you, you've got to have faith to walk in love. The Lord schooled me. I thought the Lord was schooling me in ministerial ethics, pulpit etiquette, how to be cool, you know, flow in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Amen. You know, how to, how to present the gospel. You know, all these things you, you want to have as an attribute as a minister. When in reality, God schooled me in the subject of love for 15 years. Now I'm going to revert to that back and forth and kind of, kind of show you or give you some illustrations of that. First of all, you must locate where love is in your life and determine whether or not it is active. Because the love of God in us is not a feeling or an emotion. Yesterday we, we did that beautiful marriage for Greg and Jessica and, and oh, they're just so in love. I mean, it just, it just leaked out everywhere. It was just, you know, that gooey, oozy kind of wedding love, you know. <laughs> It's kind of palpable in the place. It just kind of, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. You know, it just, I mean, it, just, it was so cool. It was, I really enjoyed it, you know. I mean, it was there. Now, that's not the kind of love we're talking about. Because faith is an act. Love is also an act. Now, let me just say this. In my life, and as I have experienced it, faith has never been an act, uh, excuse me, love has never been an act that I enjoyed. Think any amens on that one. Let me say that again. Love has never been an act that I have enjoyed. Because in every circumstance where I was required to walk in love, my adversary the devil, the circumstance itself, and everything about that situation that I was supposed to walk in love with was screaming at me saying, you have a right to be this way, act this way, and do this. And love would say, no, no, you're going to have to walk in love. And I'm like, well, I'm right. And I'm like, love says, doesn't matter if you're right. Doesn't matter if you're wrong. All that matters is that you walk in the kind of love that I love you with. Amen. Now, 
In relationship to trials, in Romans 5, 1, the Bible says we glory in tribulation. Now, let me give you a little example. <laughs> I don't know how to get these things. You come home from the job. Everybody ready? You come home from the job. Your hours have been cut. Your pay was cut. The tools to do the job were removed. The person you get along with the least is appointed your supervisor. <laughs> I remember I used to, when I worked in the cable TV business, you know, I started out climbing poles. And I fell off a couple of those poles. And I'm going to tell you what, man. You talk about irritation. You fall off a creosote telephone pole on Galveston Island or in Texas City or Lamarck and you fall off on a hot summer day when that creosote is nice and bubbly and it rips your shirt off and puts all kinds of stickers in you. I'm telling you, you'll question what you're doing out there the next day. And they bought a brand new Ford F-250 bucket truck. Air conditioned, oh my goodness, the newest radio, pushed the button and the thing just went right up to the top where you needed to work and you never needed to, uh, uh, you never needed to climb a pole. I mean, I could drive it in the alleys and I had that bucket truck for about three months. And a guy came in who I thought was a knucklehead. Anybody know any knuckleheads? Now remember, I wasn't serving God at the time. And, uh, they took, here he was, and they came and basically gave him my job. I was doing the job because the individual that had the job quit, so I knew what to do, so I just stepped in to do it. And so they didn't promote me into that job. They waited till they found someone else in the company, promoted them, brought them in, and gave them my truck. I never got over it. As you can tell, I'm probably still not over it. Let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the truth. When I quit that job, you know, you know how you quit the job? You throw your tools down. You say, I'm finished. You curse everybody out and walk out. That's how I quit that job. About three weeks later, I got right with God. And God made me humble myself. He made me go to those people. He made me apologize. Now listen, I'd only been back to the Lord maybe three weeks but there was enough conviction in that three-week period where I knew I had to go back to that office, I had to go back into that garage, I had to humble myself in front. They thought I was crazy. I'm sitting there telling them, I got right with God, tears rolling down my face. I got right with God, I can't live like this no more. I'm so sorry for everything I've ever done. I'm going to each person, I'm sorry for this and sorry for that. And they're standing there like this. <laughs> Amen? Now let me tell you something. This may help some of you. When I did that, so many, that's been 34 years ago. It produced a blindness in me. You say, a blindness? Yeah. I'm blind to many things. You say, what is that? Turmoil, strife, things that are not saturated with the love of God. I just don't even, I don't even acknowledge them. You say, well, people are mad, people are angry. People are, I don't care, I don't even look at it. You say, why? Because that offense, that hurt, that pain, that, 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 you name it, that poison, whatever it is, is going to run its course and do what it does in people. And me stepping in trying to address that doesn't hurt it, doesn't help it. The only thing I can do is teach you, you can't do that. You've got to walk in love. Amen. Now, now here, here's, here's our response. When you walk in the door of your house, what is your, what is your attitude? What is your feelings? And what do you communicate? Well, for the most part, our attitude is we're disappointed. I mean, you know, you're looking at me very holy right now. Like, 
I'm the only one that knows this stuff. No, I'm telling you, this is how we do it. We walk in disappointed. How do we feel? We're offended. That wasn't right. What do you communicate? Pain. Pain is one of the most communicated commodities in the body of Christ. Now let me say this. I was really privileged to be in a ministry at a time in which there was a great move of the Holy Ghost and, 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 and conferences like Brother Hagin's conferences were, were, were thousands of people. I think at the height of it, there probably 35,000 people coming to the Tulsa Convention Center. Brother Osteen's uh, uh, minister's conferences, thousands of people were going there. All kinds of meetings going on. Churches were exploding. Uh, uh, Pastor Walter Hallam built a beautiful church in Lamarck. Uh, 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 Al Jandel over in Alvin, Texas built a beautiful church. Uh, Ronnie Trice up in Mount Belvin. Beautiful buildings going up. People were, were praising God, worshiping God. God was moving. But let me say something. Anytime God moves on any level, the enemy literally, literally begins to rise up and do everything he can do to destroy it. Now I was studying, I like, I like military things, and so I was studying about the armies, there were, there were three different armies that, that went in and, and occupied Europe after D-Day. Now one of these armies, and when I say an army, it was the, uh, the American army made up of several divisions. Out of those divisions were battalions. Out of those battalions were different units. But every one of those armies had four columns. Everybody say four. Now the four columns were this. There were infantry. Everybody say infantry. Now that's the foot soldier. That's the guy that goes and does the work. That's the, that's the, uh, the paratrooper, the, 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 the infantry man. That's the guy that does the work. Then there were weapons. Everybody say weapons. Now the weapons were guys that were specially trained how to use a machine gun. Guys specially trained how to use a mortar. Artillery people, people like that. Then there was medical. Everybody say medical. Because soldiers were getting wounded. And they were, you know, you needed, the, uh, you needed your doctors. You needed your mass units and all. I think that didn't actually come around until Korea. But they were doing something like that during World War II. Then there was your support. What if a soldier needed a new pair of boots? Who's going to cook the food? See what I'm saying? So there were those four columns that each and every... And there was a major over them. And these majors would get together and the colonels and the generals and they would talk about the success each and every one was having. There was one particular major that his, his casualty rates were much lower than everybody else's. Because all of them were assigned to go through France, into Belgium, and into Germany and take cities. Everybody say, take cities. So as they would move through the countryside and they would begin to take cities, what they would do is, well, they, if the German army was entrenched there, they would have to assault the city. They would begin with artillery barrages. They would get their infantry units ready. And eventually those infantrymen would have to rush on the city and take the city. And I'm telling you, it was blood and guts warfare. But this one guy, his casualty rates were so low. So they got him and they said, what are you doing? Because you're as successful as anybody else at taking these cities as any of our majors. What are you doing? He said, I have a fifth column. He said, you have a fifth column. He says, you know, every city that we go through, we defeat it and they are defeated. So what we do is we, we get volunteers from the defeated city. And before we ever assault that city, we take those volunteers and we say, now look, you go into that city and you begin to spread all kinds of fear. You begin to tell them the Americans are coming. You, you begin to tell them they got more men, they got more guns, they got better artillery. And I'm telling you, you may kill a few of them, but they're going to keep coming and keep coming. You are already defeated in this major. This is the statement he made. He said, before we ever fire the first shot, that city is defeated from the inside out. Amen. You know, that's exactly what the enemy does. 
to moves of God, to churches, to all kinds of things that God desires to do. I mean, why shouldn't the Azusa Street Revival still be going on in intensity and power? Why shouldn't the healing revival still be going on in intensity and power? Why shouldn't, why shouldn't the great charismatic renewal? Why, why would anything that God ever does in the earth have to stop? It's not the will of God to stop it. It's not the will of God to put the brakes on it. What the devil does is he gets in, he begins to entrench. But the only thing you can do to protect it is to walk in love. And people say, well, that's just too simple because I'm telling you, I got some complicated problems. I'm telling you, my situation and people that have situations, people that have circumstances, people that have issues. Listen, all of that, anything that you do that you carry or hold like that literally marks the path in which you did not walk in love. Ow. Everybody say, ow. Offense is a feeling. Offense is a feeling that demands communication to reach its full potential. Now let me say that again. Offense is a communication. I saw this. It blew my mind. I saw a guy, a man, communicate to another man an incident that happened to him in a church 20 years ago. And he communicated to this man... And that man got offended at what happened to this man and left his church. I'll let that soak a minute. You say, that's crazy. It happens. Because offense and pain that becomes the poison of your own heart, it demands communication. You've got to tell somebody. Somebody has to know how I feel. You've got to know what was done to me. Amen. Now when I began this, this walk, been many years ago now, begin to work with another minister. Things begin to happen. Things were done. Things were said that I just didn't, I just didn't pay any attention to because I knew if I did, it's going to really hurt me. And there are things that are going to happen in your life that if you give attention to what happens to you, it's going to harm you. It's going to hurt you. That's why God has given us His love to walk in as the greatest protection that any believer can have on this planet is to walk in the love of God because it makes you immune to hurt, immune to pain, immune to offense, and it keeps you on that path of righteousness. Now let me say this. You need a pastor. Let me say that again. You need a pastor. In the book of Revelations, you see Jesus walking through the churches that were there at that time, and He holds a candle in His hand. That candle is the pastor's. And the reason you need a pastor is you need somebody that you can submit to that can correct you. And a lot of people are so resistant against correction because that's our nature, especially as Americans. We're independent. Come on. We're independent. We're, we're, you know, we've, we've won all the wars. We've done all of this. We've done all of that. We're number one. We're the champions. Okay, wait, that's great. But you've got to understand, there has to come a place of submission in your heart where you are correctable, and it's not really the correction of an individual. It is the correction of God through an anointing that will help you line up with what God wants for your life. Amen. When love is not flowing, let's look at this just a moment. Here's one way you can tell in your life when love is not flowing. Number one, you're on a side. You say, what do you mean? You're on a side. You have a side. This is my side. There is another side. 
I've been, man, I was accused. I say for years, it happens all the time. Man came, a pastor came to my house. Lee and I had left the church we were a part of, and we left it right by going and sitting with the pastor and his wife and telling them what God had put in our heart. Amen? There's a right way to leave, wrong way to leave. Thank God for Miss Mickey. That's the right way to leave. So people just don't show up anymore. They're offended. Well, why don't you go after them? I don't recognize the fence. I don't do it. I'm blind to it. Well, you need to go chase these people down. Why? I don't want to get affected with them, with that stuff. Amen? Now, you've got to, you've got to see this. You have a side, and when you side with either right or wrong, when there are sides, everyone thinks they're right, and it hinders grace and mercy. Because no matter what you're saying, if you're on the right side, I'm right. If you're on the wrong side, I'm right. It's going to hinder grace and mercy from flowing in your life. Lee and I, we had a, some ministers come and sit down. Oh, back, back to the minister that came to my house. He came to my house, and a lot was being said about Lee and I, and we knew what it was. We knew it was pain. We knew that what was being communicated was hurt, and we, and we love people, and so we were not doing anything to respond to it. And this pastor came to me, and he said, Rusty, you've got to tell your story. He said, listen, there are people saying this about you and there are people saying that about you and there are people saying this about you and there are people saying that about you and you've got to get up and defend yourself and you've got to tell your story. And this is what I said to that pastor. I said, I have no story. I have no story to tell other than I follow God and I love. And I named the people that he was thinking that I needed to be on a side against because what he was trying to do is trying to get me on his side. Amen. You can always tell when people try to communicate to you. Lee and I one time were sitting in our house and there's a knock on the door and some ministers came in and they begin to just spew all this stuff about some other ministers. And they're going to say all of this garbage, all this, just this and this and that and that and this and this. And it was nothing we were unaware of. And when they finished that, we looked at them and said, okay, here's the deal. If you believe that, if you act on that, and if you continue to speak that offense like that, it's going to greatly harm you, and it greatly did. Amen? As I begin to help in another ministry, there was an assignment given me to build a ministerial organization, which I put my heart and soul into. I mean, I built it, built it. Not only did I build it, I fueled it with about 100 ministers that were connected to me. And I, you know, just praise the Lord, you know. And so that went on for about seven years. And all of a sudden, nobody said anything to me. Nobody came to me and said, you, you know, we're going to do this. Gonna, nobody said nothing. All of a sudden, I remember walking to an office, and there was an office door, and it had the name of the ministry on that door. And I walked in there, and there's a man sitting at a desk. And he said, hi, hi I'm so-and-so. And I had met him before. He was a missionary. I'd met him before. And he said, I'm now the head and named the ministry. And I'm like... <laughs> Amen. Nobody had said anything to me. Nobody had communicated to me. And I'm telling you, when I closed that door, Satan jumped on my back. I'm telling you, it was an attack of the enemy, like, ah, worse than any physical attack. It was a spiritual attack. And he began to say this, and he began to say that. And as I began to walk, what I did when I got to my car, as I began to pray in other tongues, because I knew the Holy Spirit carried the love of God. It carried the love of God. The next day, let me say something. The next day I went back, knocked on that door, opened it up, walked in and said, how can I help you? 
He said, I need to get into all the churches that you go to. I said, okay, I'll bring you a list. He went to about three. Pastors called me up and said, who is this person you're sending to my church? Amen. I can't help if he had no grace to do that. I can't help if there was nothing in his heart for that. All I know is I was able by that act to walk in love and not get offended at any of that stuff. There are going to be things that rise up in your life and you're going to say, oh my God, this is the most unfair, unjust thing that could ever happen to me. Well, that's really not the issue. The issue is how are you going to respond to it? Amen. Doc and, Doc and Colleen, wave your hand. Doc is my right-hand man in the auditorium over there. They brought me a book uh, from, on the vacation from about World War I and I thumbed through it uh, this morning and a little bit last night. Now, I want, I want you to know, that, that had to be one of the most horrible events on this planet. Men slaughtered themselves wholesale for years. And all of it was based on offense of a few people, of about eight people. They got mad at each other, and one of them killed the other one, and it set the world on fire. So you can't tell me the devil doesn't know how powerful uh, offense and the poison of gossip and backbiting, he knows what that will do. He has burnt the world down with it almost. And the rebellion that it causes. So he knows. Everybody say, he knows. When love is not flowing, your feelings take over. And your emotions will anchor you into events that Satan wants to use to keep the trauma of the set event multiplying in your life. Now you need to listen to that. When love is not flowing, feelings take over and emotions will anchor you into events that Satan wants to use to keep the trauma of the said event multiplying in your life. Now let me just say something here. Because I, I, you know, I read some of the letters you send me and some of the stuff that comes in. Some of you have had some horrible things happen to you. And I'm not talking about just in churches. I'm talking about just out there. Women get hurt. Men lose businesses. I'm telling you, there's been some bad stuff go on in some of your lives. But you cannot let the event of that, because it may have happened 30 years ago. It may have happened 10 years ago. But if it's still fresh in your heart and in your spirit, and you haven't covered with that, that, that thing with love, with the love of God, you say, what is that? Love forgives. I'm telling you, I, I, I wept when I saw this. I tell you, I wept. Sitting in front of my TV. This has been about four years ago. Some wicked, wicked, wicked man got into an Amish community. Some of y'all remember it and took over one of their meeting halls and slaughtered seven of their young women. Do y'all remember that? Some of y'all may remember that. The next day, I, I, it just blew me away. The Amish, the next day on national TV, those, those you could tell those reporters were wanting, you know, you, you need to kill them, you need to fry them. That elder of that Amish church stood up there with tears rolling down his face, you can see the pain of the trauma and said this, we forgive him, we love him, and we will pray for him. I thought, oh my God, make us all Amish. <laughs> their emotions, could you imagine what their emotions were like the day after the slaughter of their innocent daughters? Could you imagine the pain of those parents? And those parents stood behind that elder in unison and said, we forgive him and we love him and we will pray for him that God will intervene in his life. I don't know what they're doing, but they know something about love. 
Mm -mm -mm. Your adversary knows destroying you from the inside out is the most effective method. What are our answers? Outward trauma can be gone, many years distance, scars can heal, but inward wounds will continue to fester and look for expression through your words, deeds, and attitudes and behavior. <laughs> when I was a kid, we'd go out to California and visit our relatives. My grandmother and grandfather lived out there, my mom's mom and dad. I climbed up in a big old palm tree, uh, 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 not palm tree, uh, a pine tree. Big old pine tree, and I'm way up in the top, and I fell out. And on the way down, a broken branch stuck into my chest and ripped up my chest and ripped off my nipple. Can you say nipple in church? I've already said it twice, haven't I? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> There's really no other way to tell the story, you know. You may have needed a little relief. I mean, it just ripped it off. And I tell you, I had this horrible, I probably was, I don't know, show you remember, I was probably eight, eight years old maybe. She's two years younger than me. I was probably eight years old. And, and, and I had this horrible scar on my chest for years, this deep, jagged, nasty thing. And, you know, just you can imagine. And now it's all gone. It's all gone. But I still have the memory of it. So I don't climb pine trees no more. <laughs> Amen. So there are some answers. John chapter 5 talks about a man that sat by a miracle pool his whole life. 38 years of being sick. And when Jesus walked up to him, he asked him this question. He said, will you be made whole? And that's really the true question that needs to be asked. If you're dealing with offense, if you're dealing with places, areas of your life, in which you communicate pain and hurt, you need to ask yourself, will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? Now, what's amazing about Jesus, people say, well, he had the ability to heal everybody at the miracle pool. Why didn't he do it? Because the Holy Ghost only sent him to one. To illustrate to us, the Holy Ghost was in charge and also signaled out one person who needed to be asked the question, will you be made whole? Amen? Now, can I conclude this? It won't take but about five minutes. Number one, you've got to turn wholeheartedly to God. Wholeheartedly to Him. Amen. Amen? Number two, you've got to quit eating, drinking, and vomiting poison. Because that's what offense is. It's poison. Number three, you've got to examine the conditions of your, your, your soul because that's your soil. That's where your seed is planted. And if there's not a continual production of the goodness of God in your life, finances, health, healing, then you've got to ask yourself, why am I not producing? That's what we do. We always go and begin to look in our own hearts. Now, we don't care about the hearts of others because you don't produce for me. I have to produce for myself. So I begin to dig into my own spirit, my own heart. What is it in me? Amen. You've got to get rid of your denial. You've got to gain strength in the Word. And you've got to make a decision, I'm going to get healed. Now, Real quick, go to Genesis. Let me show you something. Because not only does this love work for you, it must work in you. And this is where we miss it. Go all the way to Genesis. Let me find it here. I want you to go to Genesis. I'd never considered this before. 
Go all the way to Genesis chapter 9. This is after the flood. This is in verse 17. No, no, go ahead and just go to verse 18. It says, The sons of Noah that went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Everybody say Japheth. And Ham is the father of Cana. It says, These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread or populated. So out of, out of those three guys, all of us came. Amen. And Noah began to be a husbandman or a gardener, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. Now notice this. And Ham, the father of Cana, saw the nakedness of his father and told. Everybody say told. He told his two brethren without. Now notice the other two brothers. And Shem and Japheth, they took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. Now this is an illustration right here of how love works. Now I'm not going to get into the next rest of the, uh, of the scripture, but the problem with all this was is that Ham ended up cursed and the other two boys ended up blessed. Are you with me? Now I've heard a bunch of stupid teaching on that that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. You can't trace any ethnic group back to any of these three guys. I say, well, this is the reason these people have a curse. No, it's not. The Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Amen. Amen. But now, this guy, this younger walked in and he saw the nakedness of his father and he went out and told. Now, he shouldn't have done that. There are things that you see, that you hear. There are things that you, that come, into your, you come in contact with that you should never communicate. You say, why? Because there are seeds of destruction in your own life and they will harm you and hurt you. But the other two brothers did the right thing. They, they, they took a cover, they put it between their shoulders and they backed in so they could not see. They're not going to participate in that which Ham did and they covered their father. Everybody say, cover my father. Now, real quick, last scripture. Go all the way, all the way back to 1 Peter. Let me find it here. 1 Peter chapter 4, I believe it is. First Peter, let's just start in verse 7. It says, but the end of all things is at hand. Boy, if he wrote that back then, we're pretty close today, amen? But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all, everybody say above all. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover a multitude of sins. Now, read that in the Amplified. I love it in the Amplified. Verse 8. It says, Above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. Forgives, disregards the offenses of others. Now, oh, I don't know if I'd say this or not, but I'm going to do it like this because some, some of you need to be healed. You just need to be healed. In every event of your life where you've had opportunity for offense, you've either been a ham or you've been the two brothers. 
When someone comes up and wrongs you with words or wrongs you with deeds, you either make a decision to tell it or to cover it. Amen? You say, what do you mean by that? That means there's going to be people in life, there's going to be people in church, there's going to be people at your family, at your job, all around you, but especially brothers and sisters in Christ, that when their weakness is exposed, when their problem is exposed, when something is exposed in them, you have to make a decision whether you're going to tell it, which brings the curse, or you're going to cover that. What do I cover it with, Pastor? They wronged me. They told a lie about me. They did this. They did that. That's their weakness. Don't let their weakness turn into your weakness. You use your strength. And you back in there and you cover that thing with love. That means you disregard it. Now, now you're not going to like this. But I learned this. I'm telling you, I learned this through experience. And I became a cover of those I was in a relationship with in ministry. And I covered things that I'm telling you, I had someone come to me one time and say, if you would just tell it, you'd take this whole county over. Everyone would come to your church. I said, I won't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to pray. Believe God for revival in every church and in every minister. But when you make a decision, I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to, no matter what, what was done to me, what was said to me, how it's done, how it's said, because see, people will communicate their pain. They'll communicate their hurt. They'll communicate offense. They'll communicate all of these things trying to get you to participate with their own weakness. But when you step up in the strength of God and the anointing of God and you say, bless God, I love you, I forgive you, and I, you're not going to like this. You're not going to like this, but this is where the unlikable part of love lives in your life. You ready? I'm going to act like it never happened. Come on, church. I'm going to act like it never happened. It's not going to affect me. It's not going to harm me. It's not going to hurt me. I'm not going to communicate it. I'm going to walk in the love of God. And I'm going to act like it never happened. Now, I want you to know the cross was a horrible thing. I don't know if it works. Man, if you're going to kill me, don't do it that way. Amen. Put me to sleep like a dog or something, you know. But I'm telling you, he's, the Bible says he suffered the shame of the cross for the glory that would be revealed in him. The greatest act of love on this earth that ever happened is when a God stretched himself out on a cross and let a fallen race, I'm not talking about the black, the white, Hispanic, I'm talking about the human race, let a human, the human race in its fallen state sacrifice him. God allowed it. God planned it. Jesus wrought it. The Holy Ghost brought it into existence. And I'm telling you, although he bears the marks of the covenant, he still responds to every person today on this planet with love. Love gets you saved. Love gets you healed. Love fuels your faith. Love binds people together. Love forgives. Love does all of this and causes the power of God to flow and to be a blessing. Amen. Praise God. Every head bowed. Every eye closed just for a moment. Brother Frank, go if you will and play softly on the keyboards. If you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not living right. I'm not doing right. I need to be right with God. Maybe you've got an offense in you. Maybe you've got something in you that just needs to be corrected. Because that, that will cause your fellowship with God to be broken. You can't have visitations from God when you're full of offense. 
You can't have visitations from God when you're not walking in love. It cuts off the flow. Yes, you've been wronged. Okay. Everyone does. Listen, your life, in your life, there is a schedule of harassment, a schedule of bad things, a schedule of ornery things the devil's going to do, and most of them are going to be done through people. And you're going to have to make a decision to walk in love. But some of you, your heart's hurt. Some of you, you got that pain in your life. And you need, you need to get it purged out of you. So the only question could be is, will you be made whole? So if you're here today, say, that's me, Pastor. I just need to get right with God today. Please pray with me. Would you lift your hand up? Anyone at all? Anyone? Anyone? Many hands. Many hands. You can put them down. You can put them down. We're not going to call you up today. I'm just going to have everybody pray one prayer. Because there was, there was 20 or more hands that have gone up. Thank you for your honesty. Because pride and fear will always guard that which is wrong. But humility and submission will always open itself up. And say, I need help. I need to get right with God. I have men that God has chosen that speak into my life. I don't let everybody speak into my life. But there are men that God has chosen that speak into my life. And they love me. They care about our ministry. I counsel with them. One is soft and sweet. And if I need love, I tell you, I call him up and he just loves me. One's tough. If I call him up, he's real honest with me. Another is an apostle and he just wants to come take everything over. (laughs) That's what apostles are. But you have to have someone speaking into your life. And you have to realize they have to be chosen by God. Other people that speak into your life, that you allow to speak into your life that God has not chosen for you, will violate you. And they will speak bitterness. And they will speak pain. And they will speak hurt. And you have to recognize it when it's happening. And you've got to turn and run from it. So everybody, if you will, look this way. Put one hand on your heart. Lift one hand up to heaven. Pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, just like Pastor Rusty, prayed a prayer years ago. God, make me a person of your love. I pray that prayer for myself today. Let love dominate my life. Let love heal my hurts. Let love heal my wounds. Let love be my attitude. And where it's hard and where it's difficult, thank you for the Holy Ghost which is in me and upon me and empowers me to walk the love walk. Thank you, Lord. I am being healed of my own hurts and the hurts of others. Thank you, Father. All the blessing you have scheduled for me, I will not miss. And where I've been bitter, I've been offended, I've been hurt today, By the words that are spoken and the power of the Holy Ghost, let your word purge that out of me. Let me be cleansed. Let me be pure in Jesus' name. Now lift your hands and thank God He does it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Come on and thank Him. Come on and worship God. Come on and worship Him this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, when Roland and I were in Ireland, the Lord gave me a message one night, and I titled it The Elephant in the Room. Because some things have gone on in Ireland that really hurt the people. And it's, you know, and you would say, well, it's justified. This. Well, it's not. They have to get over their hurt like everybody else does. So I, I preached a message kind of like this, but it was a little more, a little more tough. And I gave an altar call and the whole church came up. Hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. And the real people that the message was aimed at didn't come up. And after the service, they came straight to me and just spewed poison. Just spewed it. And I just thought, my God, the people that needed it most heard it the least. Just spewed it. It, was so, it just broke my heart. Thank God for everybody else that got touched. But the people that really needed to hear it, didn't hear it. Jesus said, not only be careful what you hear, but how you hear it. You have to be able to hear what God is saying to you so that He can heal and bless your life. Did this help anybody today? If it helped you, say amen. amen. Praise God. Again, we're so glad you've come. Moms, we love you. We have a special gift. It may break your diet or whatever, but it's okay. You can have a treat today. Everybody say a treat. That's for our moms. Listen, you guys. They're not for you. They're for your mom. Amen. Stand on your feet. Father, we bless your name today. Thank you so much for a wonderful day in your spirit. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Father, today we can claim Psalms 91, your word, over our lives. Thank you, no evil befalls us, no plague comes to our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. We thank you, Heavenly Father. Here at Island Church, whether we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, or any other way of travel or transportation, we are protected and blessed by God. Lord, in the righteous labor of our hands, wherever they may be, whatever we may do. Lord, we have men that have businesses. We've got contractors, men that work out in the ocean, men that work on the railroads, men in the petrochemical plants, people up at UTMB, people in education, all over the area. We thank you. No evil plans of wicked men. No plans of Satan himself shall harm us in any way, for we abide under the shadow of the Most High. We thank you, Father. Lord, today, we thank you for the door of utterance. For every member of Island Church, as we learn our authority in Christ, as we learn that which God is doing, as we learn that we are to be witnesses, thank you, doors open for us. Everyone a minister. Everyone proclaiming Jesus. Thank you, we can be an answer to somebody's prayer. A miracle in somebody's life. A problem to the devil. A blessing to people. Lord, as we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you. We walk in love toward one another. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. We'll see you. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.